Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. Last week and this week, I wanted to hit on the topic of the church gathering. What it means to be gathered while we do this. Why do we gather on Sunday? Why should I as a Christian prioritize a Sunday morning to gather together and, and be, a, be in a worship service live with people, with congregants, like we used to do a year and a half ago? Why, why is that a big deal? What's, what's the dynamics of it? And what's the biblical basis for it? And last week we looked at a, a passage in, Timoth, in, excuse me, in Peter. Uh, the Apostle Peter wrote it in uh, Second Peter, and he was, excuse me, First Peter. And he's writing about what a church is when it's gathered. And he talked about how we ought to come to him. We need to grow spiritually. He talked about a few verses earlier. But then as he got into chapter 2, he says, Now you guys also come to him in this way. Don't just come to him in your own personal growth, your own personal salvation, your own personal devotional life. But also come to him in this way. I want you to all come together like a living stone that are attaching yourself to him, the life-giving stone. Be a stone that's attaching themselves to the stone that gave them life. And together, you guys are building, and he called it a spiritual house. And another way of saying that literally is what he's saying is a supernatural dwelling of God. And what believers are called to do is to come together, join ourselves to Christ, and when we do come together for what we do here, a corporate worship service, what we are doing and what the reason God is asking us to do that is, is because He wants to build a supernatural dwelling for His presence in a community. A very powerful sense of God's presence being there. And we looked at that, the roots of that. If you read the Old Testament... Uh, after the exodus, when Israel was led out by Moses, if you read chapter 25 through chapter 40 of the book of Exodus, those 15 chapters are dedicated to just one thing. And that's the building and the arrangement of something called the tabernacle back in the Old Testament. And what the tabernacle was was a big mobile tent. Last night we did a wedding. And it was under a tent. Because it was going to pour down rain. And, and, and it, was just, it was something like that. Israel, early in their history, they didn't have land. They didn't have a place. And as they moved about as a sort of a nomadic people, uh, they had this tent they would set up. And it was set up a certain way. And they understood that in that tent, in that dwelling, God came to dwell and meet with them. In fact, when they first got it assembled, and they first put it up, there was a sense of a cloud that came and settled in that place. It was a, the way God manifested His glory or His presence. He said, look, I am in this place. And they had that with them. And that tabernacle was the very center of their nation and their community. And Moses met with God in that place. And it was a, a, a powerful symbol to them that when they went to war or when they went to battle or whatever they were facing in life, God's presence was there with them. And then later on in their history, Israel 
conquered land and they got their own territory and they became a kingdom and they organized a government. And hundreds of years later, God put it on the heart of David, King David, to build a temple. And so King David did that. He began this project to build a temple for the Lord. It was completed by his son Solomon. And you can read about the story. It's in Second, excuse me, First Kings chapter eight and Second Chronicles chapters four, five, and six and seven. Detail it a little more thoroughly than they do in Kings, but it talks about what went into building the temple and what was the dedication of the temple about. And when Solomon is making his dedication prayer, dedicating the temple to the Lord, he asks this question. He says, "Man, can God really dwell in a place with human? Can God really dwell with man?" On earth. Can that happen? Can there really be a dwelling. On earth where God's present. And human beings can touch him. And access him. And, and be affected by him. And he goes you know the highest heavens can't contain God. How much more. How much less can this temple that we are building. But he ended up realizing that. What this temple was was a place of, for God's name. A place for his presence. A place where he would reside in a very special way. And he went on and elaborated situations where we would need to access that temple. He talked about things like when you've been defeated in war. Talked about when you're going off to battle. He talked about when you're facing personal conflict with people. He talked about when there's a famine and things aren't going well. He talked about um, when things are going good, you need to go there. He talked about when you sin. And he says, who doesn't sin? We need a place where we can go and touch God, a tangible place where we can experience His presence and His power. And there's a really powerful psalm that we read uh, this morning, the inspiration before we, uh, you know, during, after worship. It's Psalm 68. And Psalm 68 talks about this dynamic. It talks about the dynamic of a congregation of Israel gathered before their God. And it's powerful. He says, sing praises to the Lord. Proclaim His name. And he tells the, the congregation of Israel to proclaim the power of God. And he talks about how great God is in the assembly of Israel. How awesome it is that a people could gather before a being like God. And, and they, they worship Him. And they sing to Him. And they proclaim to him. And he says, summon your power, God, as in days of old. And he, he ends up by asking the Lord as they people worship him, as they praise him, for God to strengthen and empower his people. And this is the vision of the Old Testament had of being the congregation of Israel. They would gather before God. They would worship him. They would sing to him. They would ask Him to summon His power. They would proclaim the power of God. And the, and, and the psalmist says God would strengthen and empower His people. And that's what a church gathering is about. A church gathering is about three things. It's a place of connection where we connect to Him and to each other. It's a place of truth. It's where we can recalibrate our lives from all the things we've heard that week and all the things that have been said to us and all that's gone on. We can recalibrate our lives around the truth of God's Word. And it's a place of empowerment. 
It's a place that when you're struggling with things, when you're down, when you're being affected by a dark world, things can change. Things can turn around. And so last week we talked a little bit in more of a general term about what a church gathering is. About that vision that, that believers come together connecting to Christ, but also connecting to each other to build a supernatural dwelling in their community where God lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to look specifically now, as we look over to Ephesians, I want to read this passage, I want to just look at what's in there, but I want to talk about what are some of the theological and philosophical uh, underpinnings of why we do church the way we do. How do we intend uh, our church service to do what the Bible says a church service should do? How do we intend our church service to be a place of connection, a place of truth, and a place of power? So let's look here at Ephesians chapter 2, and I think it's on, on the screen it's going to start in verse 17, but I want to go back a few verses and start with verse 13 uh, if we can. Verse 13 in Ephesians chapter 2 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups and has destroyed the one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he came and, and put to death their hostility. Verse 17, He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You're fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him we too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Holy Spirit. Now here's what he says in verse 13 and 14 and, and 15. He talks about this dynamic early on that was going on in the early church 2,000 years ago. It's probably different than our dynamic. Back then, the, the idea was there was, a, there was a Jewish, Christianity started as a movement within the Jewish community and quickly it began to reach Gentiles, and Gentiles began to come in and actually became more numerous than the Jews. And it was kind of, the Jews had to do a double take on that one. They weren't expecting that, even though the Old Testament said that's what happened. They just had to do a double take. They had to think about it. Because in their culture, there was a lot of things that separated Jew and Gentile. There was a lot of language. There was a lot in the law and some of their ceremonies that did it. Paul talks about here about the dividing wall that existed between Jew and Gentile, literally there was a dividing wall in their temple, that great temple we talked about. There was a realm called the outer court, and there was a realm called the inner court, and then there was a third place called the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, only a priest could go in, but in the outer court, was Jews could go in, but in the uh, excuse me, inner court, but in the outer court, it was only Gentiles. And there was literally a four-and-a-half-foot wall called a soreg that went around 
uh, the temple. And it prohibited Gentiles from going in. In fact, Josephus talks about this and describes it in his annals. And he says there was actually 13 gates that somebody could go from this outer court to this inner court. And on every gate, there was an inscription written that said, no foreigner may move past these gates. And then it said, if any foreigner does do this, you will have yourself to blame for your subsequent death. That is a good way of saying no trespassing. It just kept you out. And Paul is talking about this wall and he's saying, you know, Jesus in his death on the cross destroyed that wall. And he said this, I don't care if you were far away or near. If you were a Jew that was near or you were a Gentile that was far away, you were all brought near by the blood of Christ. If you're near, you're not there. You're just near. You're there by the blood of Christ. And if you're far away, obviously you're not there. But equally, you are brought there by the blood of Christ. He's our peace. He's the one that tore down the wall. He made everybody, he democratized salvation. He democratized access to God. He made it equal, God equally accessible to, who, to anybody, to everybody, regardless of your ethnicity or your nationality, regardless of what you've done, regardless of your moral background or your religious background. You are, he leveled the playing field. He made access to God not based on anything about us, about our nationality, about our humanity, about our morality, about our religion. Access to God is not based on that. It is completely based on what He did. And He lays that out there. And then He goes on here and He talks about uh, later in this, in this chapter in, uh, in, in, verse, in verse 19. Verse 18 says, we both have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. In verse 19, he says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. But you're fellow citizens. And you're part of God's household. He tells you this, you are no longer two nationalities. You're one nationality. Well, what the Lily says in the Greek is, Paul says, he made two things one thing. He made two separate entities, us and them, a we. That's what he did with all of humanity. There's no longer an us. There's no longer a them. There's just a we. There's just a we. In Christ, we're a we. And he says we're the same nationality. And he says we're also the same family. So there's a closeness. There's a connection. Not only is, are we connected to God, it's he accessible, but we're connected to each other. And then he goes on and he talks about what a, a, a temple is in any kind of building. And you can read this in verse uh, 20 with me. He says, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Any building has three elements to it. Back in the ancient world, first thing you had a foundation. A foundation went down, went down deep. But the foundation was built for one reason. The foundation was built for the building. And the building is all centered around one stone. It's called the cornerstone. Back in the ancient days, you would lay the foundation, but then when the building really got started, you would lay a cornerstone down. Now, the cornerstone for the temple was quite a stone. 
It was 55 feet long. It's 11 feet high. It was 14 feet wide. It weighed 570 tons. And on that stone was inscribed the, the, they talk about the builder, they talk about when it was built, but they would also inscribe on that stone the purpose for the building, the why this structure exists. The cornerstone told you why. The cornerstone reminded you why this structure was here in the first place. So it had a cornerstone. It had a foundation. And what the church is founded on are two things, the apostles and the prophets. And what he simply means by that is the Old Testament are the teachings and the writings of the prophets. The church is founded on that. Christianity still is founded and grounded in the Old Testament. And for them, they were seeing how the prophets of old had written and had forecasted and had foreseen Christ's coming. And they, wrote, they, he, they unpacked the salvation he brought that was hidden in the Old Testament. And they were seeing that and they were writing about that. In the New Testament, the apostles were doing the same thing. They were talking about not what Christ will do in the future, but they were talking about what he had done in the past. And the church is built on that. We are built on the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is the why. Christ is who God sketched and etched in stone, literally, why he is building a church, why a church exists. We exist for Him. We exist, our church, to honor His greatness. That's what a church is about. It's about Him. It's about Him. There's ancillary benefits of being in a church, but it is ultimately about Him. It's about His greatness. It is about His extraordinary being, and it is about honoring that greatness with our lives. He is the cornerstone. The Word of God is the foundation. And we are attaching ourselves to it. That's how God builds a church. When we attach to Him, and when we attach to that foundation, and we rise, and we, we do it together, and more and more, the Bible says we are joined together, and the church rises to become a dwelling where God lives by the Spirit. It's people over and over again attached to Him, and attached to the Word of God, and, and through that commitment, a, a, a community arises, a structure arises, a dwelling where God can live supernaturally begins to arise. And, and what was written about in the Old Testament about the temple in Psalm 68 begins to really happen. People become empowered when they come into a church. People that are lost come into a church and they get convicted and they come to know Him. People that are sick get healed. Lives that are broken get put back together. And this is God's vision for a gathered community. This is why church is so important. This is why meeting together on a Sunday is so important. In the Old Testament, they literally had a ten command. One of the Ten Commandments was honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. It was to make sure they prioritized worship. We've had to, the last 15 months, we've sort of had to honor the Sabbath by keeping it casual. We watch it on TV in our pajamas and, and in drinking a cup of coffee, which is, was fine, but we, we, we need to move from that. We need to recover the, 
the reverence, the awesomeness, the priority that needs to be on gathering together for church. Because God's heart and God's desire is this city is to build a structure, a dwelling where He exists supernaturally. Where His power is proclaimed. And what happened in Psalm 68? His people are strengthened and they're empowered as they, as they gather together. And that's a vital part of your and my spiritual life. We've got to experience that regularly. Let me, let me just close and I want to share with you just real quickly how we see this getting enacted in our church body. How do we design a church service so that we become a dwelling where God lives by the Spirit? What's our theology about? Well, one thing that we do, we want to incorporate a lot of worship and a lot of singing into our service. We begin with two songs. We worship as an offertory. And we close with three songs. And it's, very, it's very important that I think for us as God's children that we sing to Him. That we worship to Him. That we, we sing songs about Him and about what He's like and about what He's done. Singing and song, are, I don't know what it is about it, but it's a very powerful thing. You can, you can remember a song that you sang 25 years ago all the words to it. Psalms can affect you emotionally, and we are emotional beings. We're not just emotional beings, but that's a very vital part of being human. And our emotions get us in trouble more than anything a lot of times. We get angry about something, we get emotional, we get whatever. And our emotions need to be recalibrated around Christ. And that's a way to do it. I have so many times where I've come to church or I've been somewhere and I've been afraid of something and, and I just begin to worship God with, a, with our church body and it just, I, I, my emotions heal. My emotions give way to truth. You may be angry about something. Your emotions give way to truth. Whatever is, it, it is, is an important thing that we do that. Again, Peter said that we are a body that we might proclaim the praises of Him. Who called us out of darkness into light. We want to do worship. We want to have a time of connection. You know, we have a brief time up here where we, we come and we'll pray together as a church for things. We'll pray together. We want to put an emphasis on the Word of God. Hey, we're founded on the apostles and prophets. Jesus being the chief cornerstone. We want to preach and proclaim God's Word. We want to teach it. We want to, we want to build us up. And then after we do this, we take communion, and we take it for a reason. Um, it's not to be cool. Cool is very overrated. Cool is just, I'm not into cool. And it's kind of a trend to sort of do these, these things in church. I just could utterly care less about that. I remember taking a first seminary class and reading uh, and learning how the first century church would take communion every time they gathered. They took it at Bible studies. They took it at funerals. They were, they were very communion-centered. It was a very big thing. And, and the reason was they wanted to remember what Jesus did for them on the cross. We just read that we have access to God through the blood of Jesus. 
You see, here's what you and I naturally believe. I believe I have access to God because I am doing well. I am doing good deeds. I am performing my Christianity in a great way. And I believe that my access to God is hindered when I'm not doing that. Does anybody else intuitively think that way? Or am I the only one? Okay, good. So that's how we do. And, and we need to be reminded. Jesus says, remember. Do this because I want you to remember this. Remember that my blood was the thing that wiped away your sins. Not your generosity. Not your whatever you're, you think you're doing that's so wonderful. It's my blood that wiped away sins. We need to remember that. And here's what happens in a typical week with Christians. Christians fall. You know that? Young Christians. I talk to them all the time. Guys that love the Lord may hit a website they shouldn't have gone to. I know we're all Christians, but you know, sometimes... Christian husband and wives get in arguments. You're going to find that hard to believe. It actually happens. Things happen in life. You know, people struggle with financial decisions. They struggle with moral decisions. They struggle with things, and they, they, they can come into a church. You can go through a week and come in feeling pretty broken and pretty defeated and pretty estranged from God. And I really believe everybody needs, we all at some point need a tactile reminder that it was his broken body. It's his sacred blood that was poured out on the cross that makes God accessible to me. And I think communion is a really important part of a church service. I think it's a real powerful time where you can recalibrate your life. If you've got sin that you've been struggling with, sin that you need to wrestle with, it's a time where you can confess it and you can get it off your shoulders. And you can, you can receive communion. If you've struggled with something that week and it's bothering you, you can, you can remember, I am a forgiven person. I'm a saint. I'm one who's been made clean by His blood. And, and enter into worship with Him as a free and as a holy and as a forgiven believer. That's a very, very important thing. We, we, we do communion for that reason. Because you and I need that. It is to remind us that the way we access God is through His blood. We access God through His broken body. We access God through His performance on the cross, not our performance in life. And we need to be reminded of that. And then we always want to end our service with, we always send three songs and we try to make them, we, we want to end our church service with us celebrating our Creator. We want to end our church service with us worshiping Him. We want to end with, with, with connecting to Him in worship and praise as a body. We want to open our altar up for prayer so people can come forward and pray and, and if they have a need in their life, if they have something really bothering them, they can connect with their, with their family, their church family, and have prayer for it. If they want to come forward and come to Christ and get saved, they can do that. We want to have a place of prayer. When Jesus entered the temple, He was furious about the money changing. He said, man, I want, I want the temple. I want this gathering to be a house of prayer for all nations. I want to be a place where people can come forward and pray and connect with God and, and touch Him. And so this is our vision for our church service. That every Sunday we gather, I mean, this is, this is going to be a place of 
power, a place of truth, a place of connection. And it's really incumbent on your and my attitude about God and about Christ and about what, what, what it meant, about His presence here. That we come to Him as a living stone. We join to Him. Like Ephesians says, like, Tim, like Peter said, we join to Him, we connect to Him, and we see the supernatural dwelling of God rise and Him dwell here in a very, very powerful way. That's our vision for our church service. And I want to encourage you to, when we gather on Sunday, when I just want to encourage you again, prioritize. You know, again, we've, it's time to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy again. Again, we've, we've had it, uh, keeping it casual long enough. It's time to make it holy again. Make it sacred. Make it a sacred moment. Come here and as a family, as the nation of God, man, come here to meet with our God, celebrate Him, and be empowered by His presence. You know, we have one of our core values of our church is the presence of God makes church compelling and worthwhile. Isn't that what it's all about? That we gather here to hear from Him, to touch Him, to be enabled by Him, to have His presence and His other, His super, touch our natural, and, and, and make a real difference in our lives and the lives around us. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the privilege of being able to worship You Father, we're so thankful that we're saved. We're so thankful that you've brought us into your family. That you've made us yours. The incredible gift of access to you. It's been given to us through Jesus. That we didn't travel there. You brought us there. By your blood. And we thank you for it, Lord. It's a privilege. Help us to not... Uh, think light of it. Father, just pray these admonitions in these verses that we've looked at these last two weeks to come to Him like a living stone. To be joined with Him. Lord, help us to really put that in practice practically, weekly, regularly, to join to you, to connect with you, to be a part of what you want to do in our city, which is build a dwelling where you live. Build a supernatural place where you're present by the Holy Spirit. It's a privilege to be a part of it. Give us grace to, to do our part. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.